Blog Talk Radio. J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. As you all know, A Better World, this radio show and our weekly TV show is dedicated to uplifting, educating, and inspiring our audiences, and have been doing so for some 19, 20 years, uh, live out of New York City, out of our studios, on TV and on radio. And so I'm very glad that you're joining us again today to continue on some of the themes that we touch upon. And we range, as you know, for those of you who listen with any regularity, from dealing with such things as healing and the environment and business and socially conscious business and investing to spirituality, consciousness, neuroscience, and on it goes, because these are all of the elements that create a confluence in our lives to help us become better human beings, to understand the environment in which we live, both outwardly and inwardly. Today is going to be a show focusing on our inner environment, as it relates, of course, to our outer environment. And to do so, we have invited on the author of a book called Remembering, Ashla Gabriel, for the first part of the show. And then we'll be continuing on toward the latter part with Angelica Whitecliffe to speak about the presence of a man called a healer, Brazzo, from Serbia, who is here in New York City for Labor Day weekend, his second time in New York who engages in a process called gazing. And people go through any number of different transformative experiences through simply being in his presence. And these two actually dovetail because that's exactly what goes on with Ashley Gabriel's teacher, Lord Pentland, around whom this beautiful book that she has written called Remembering is centered. Ashla herself has been uh, the founder of a New York City-based literary agency. She was a copywriter for a major advertising agency, actually a few, uh, and has been involved in the literary world for many, many years. Additionally, on a spiritual level, you could say, she's been a student and a practitioner of metaphysics and wisdom teachings from early in her life a major influence in her life being the work of George Ivanovich Gurdjieff. You've heard us talk about Gurdjieff on these airwaves many a time, and it's actually in that context that Ashla and I originally met, at least in this life. Early in the, in the 2000s, Reverend Gabriel received her guided heart readings work and has served the initial aspects of that calling through a website that she's developed, which is www.heartreadings.com. And you may want to go visit that, heartreadings.com, and see more of what her good work in that domain is. Ashala, are you on the line? I, I'm definitely here, Mitchell. Excellent, Ashala. Welcome to A Better World. It's such a pleasure to have you. Oh, thank you so much. It's wonderful to be with you. I'm so glad. 
Now, I've got to say I've known you for many, many years, which has been my heart's pleasure in the first place. And to read this book gave me a special insight into you and your relationship, especially with Lord Benlin, which I'd like to hear you talk about in a moment. And I just want to commemorate you uh, for writing a book that is both insightful and touching and intimate and warm. And those of you who have not yet read it, do go and pick it up. You can actually order it through our website at A Better World. TV. Just follow Ashla's image there and click on it, and you'll have an inroad to the uh, purchase of the book. It's really something, Ashla, and it's just been warming me every day that I've been sitting with it and um, absorbing it, and I feel like I've gotten to know you even better, even though I've known you for all of these years. So what is it that inspired you to bring this work forward about Lord Pentland, about whom I want you to first tell us about, because so few people actually know of him outside the Gurdjieff work itself? Yes, the, this is really good, Mitchell, because Lord Pentland himself was an amazing person. He is, in fact, a lord. He was born into royalty that way, and his father mm -hmm. was in the House of, of Lords. He was born Henry John Sinclair in uh, June 6, 1907, and he died in uh, February 14th of 84. His formal mm. title was the Second Baron Pentland, and he he was appointed by the uh, by Mr. Gurdjieff uh, himself to lead the the Gurdjieff work in North America. He became the first head of the Gurdjieff Foundation of New York, and he led that center since it was established in 1953 until he died. As well as that, he, he oversaw all kinds of study groups all over the, the world, and he f helped found the Gurdjieff Organization in San Francisco, and he addressed countless groups and met so many individual students. But mainly his work was focused in America, as Gurdjieff had wished him to be. Mm, so interesting. Did he spend uh, much time with Gurdjieff? And if, that, if so, was that in Paris or at the Fontainebleau, or where was that? He, he actually started uh, his earlier... Uh, Time was spent with P.D. Uspensky, and he spent many years with Uspensky, and then he came over to Gurdjieff for uh, just shy of a couple of years, but they were intense, and they were right at the point when Gurdjieff was dying. And Gurdjieff oh. saw, saw very much who Lord Pentland was because he, in his own right, as I've said to you, was a mystic. And he had yes. tremendous capabilities. He he was not only mystical, he was a great businessman, he was a great politician, he was a great negotiator. Mm. He, he was a, a human being in, uh, in all aspects of that. It sounds like an exalted human being at that, Oshawa. Yes, but very approachable. You know, the yes. combination, yes. that combination yes. is so extraordinary. Well, yeah, so, I would say I, unlike you, I've had only a, probably a half a dozen to a dozen encounters with him over the years that I was at the foundation myself from whatever, the late 70s to the mid-80s, and uh, did have the pleasure and honor of his company uh, a number of times during that interim period. But with you, you have been uh, a student of his and actually in many ways a rather good friend over the course of, what was it, 20, 15, 20 years. Uh, it, it was just about that. And what I think brought about this book, which is what you um, were asking, yes, is that... Um, all for the years, when a person of this level passes over, sometimes there is a kind of forgetfulness of who they really are, 
who what they are as human as a human being so in order to bring that back to bring back the life that i felt and experienced directly being around with pentland to bring that to people so that there could be not only a teaching, which he was very capable of imparting, but also a a practice, a kind of real understanding of how to work, not just listening to ideas, but very practically. He never gave um, any exercises that he didn't personally try himself. Mm-hmm. And some, and it was extraordinary to me. And uh, the book came about after many, many, uh, shall I say, false starts because I mm-hmm. tried, I tried to write this book, but the book wouldn't get itself written until mm. there was this time that it became clear that this book needs to be available now. And the stories, yeah. This, so it's particularly uh, the, interesting because you knew him in the flesh for so many years, and he passed in the early to mid '80s. And here we are in 2012. So I would say that there has been a, a seasoning and a ripening of his sense of being. His wisdom as it really, um, let's say, filtered through you and only distilled is a better word. And I feel that now you've really come into your own in a way to really have integrated a lot of what it is that he had to impart to you. Thank you, Mitchell. Um I, uh, as you know from the book itself, and you know from being around me a lot, I don't take credit for a whole lot. I I give credit mm-hmm. to my teacher, and I will always give credit to my teacher because yes. the level of his humanity is something we we can so aspire to. He had all the credentials, and yet he had all of the the wisdom, and he could look at you, just look at you, and he would know exactly what you needed. And you were Mm. speaking a little bit about gazing before, so I wanted to tie to that a bit. Yes, beautiful, beautiful. I'd like to just circle back a little bit, Ashala, to um, sort of set a scene, set a context uh, for our listeners, some of whom may know the work of Gurdjieff, and many, most probably do not, and certainly even more, you could say, related to the inner circle would be knowledge of Lord Pentland, which of course is the subject of your book, and story after story, wonderful vignettes, if you will, about about your experiences directly and indirectly with Lord Pentland. But for our audience, please, everyone, uh, just uh, bear with us as we enjoy our dialogue about people <laughs> that we know. And uh, it's almost like the audience is eavesdropping in on our precious, intimate conversation. And, uh, but it is only fair, and so I will say that uh, George Ivanovich Gurdjieff was born of a Greek mother and an Armenian father, his father of whom was part of a storytelling tradition, I love this, reaching back to the times of Babylon, an unbroken storytelling tradition. People today have no clue that that even still exists, but it does. Certainly it existed into at least uh, the 20th century. I can't say now. I wouldn't know. But that was the context in Armenia, what was Armenia, that Gurdjieff was born into. And he became a mystic himself, really, is probably the best way of describing it, even though he referred to himself as a teacher of dance, and that was of temple dances. He had influences of the Sufis, of the Buddhists, of the Vedic teachings, of 
Christianity, and on it goes, on it goes. And he was a maverick of a man and headed up a group called the Seekers of Truth. He was the author of many books. He came west, and not to go on about it, but he did begin to attract a very interesting group of people, some very well known, some not known at all, some lords such as Lord Pentland. He also had as one of his primary students, P.D. Uspensky, who you referenced before, who is a Russian journalist and mathematician who wrote several books on the Gurdjieff work. And Lord Pentland loomed up into the, um, the higher realms and the group that surrounded Gurdjieff, largely around and inside Paris. And as you were saying, was then appointed by Gurdjieff himself to come to the United States of America and head up the work here. And it was in that context that you met Lord Pentland, correct? That's correct. That's correct. Okay. So there we have at least a smidgen of a context. And for those of you who are interested, I would say pick up Ashula's book and, of course, pick up Gurdjieff's own Beals Above Sales to his grandson, and perhaps the most, the more famous uh, meetings with remarkable men as an inroad to begin to get a sense of these powerful esoteric teachings, some of which are equated with the work of Rudolf Steiner and other uh, spiritually oriented but also very scientifically minded teachers around the end of the 19th into the early part of the 20th century. Voila. <laughs> Voila. I okay, to, so now, yes. Yes, I, I want to uh, add something that I think is very important that I learned Please. from Lord, Lord Pentland, that uh, – in the world of spirituality and wisdom teachings, which you were so beautifully describing, and yes. particularly in the Gurdjieff work and its surrounds, many influences were available from different traditions. And mm-hmm. Mr. Gurdjieff Mr. brought all of these together in, his, uh, in a school where it would be possible to experience within one lifetime which makes it a little different from other traditions, within mm-hmm. one lifetime to experience the different parts of the human, human being that we're made up with, the mind, the body, the spirit, the emotions, all of it, and mm-hmm. to experience them together, sometimes not so pleasantly, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and sometimes right. very poignantly, but we could learn about ourselves in real time, so to speak, and we Mm -hmm. could enter into dimensions that were so unknown to us before this work came into being. And in other Mm. traditions, it takes many, many lifetimes, perhaps, to come to that, perhaps, perhaps, to come to glimpses of that. Well, you're, you're making a very good point, which was the fourth way, which it was referred to oftentimes, was considered to be the fast way. It was right. considered not to be the slow way, but a chance to experience one's own higher self, one's spiritual self, if you will, in life. Not on a mountaintop in a monastery, not sitting on a cushion in an ashram in some faraway distant place, but no, right in the belly of life itself, the belly of the tiger. And that's where Gurdjieff did a lot of his writing, right smack in the middle of Paris at a cafe and on it goes. And here, I'd like to come back around to Lord Benlin and, first of all, let everybody know this is Mitchell J. Raven on A Better World Radio. We're here every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Please join us again and again. We so appreciate your coming. And we are spending the first part of today's show with Ashala Gabriel, who is, if I may say, a mystic in herself and the author of a beautiful book called Remembering being with my teacher and that teacher is Lord Pentland who she had the honor and privilege of spending many years by his side both on the west and east coasts coasts of the United States so Ashala 
I'd like us to kind of stick our nose right into your book and some of the stories because sure. they're they're heartwarming. And first of all, tell me and us, what was it like to be? I know you began this, but I'd like to hear a little bit more depth. What was it like to be in Lord Pentland's presence? It it was everything you could imagine because you came into his presence accepting that he was a teacher. There was a little bit of trepidation, as there is around any teacher, and there was a lot of joy, and there was a sense of being so alive. That's the word that I want to keep mm. with around him. There was a life and an aliveness, this great sense of being more than we really know about ourselves. And in the Would present, you describe it as a feeling of joy? I Yes, at moments it was extraordinarily joyful, even ecstatic. And at mm-hmm. other moments it was a bit terrifying, to be honest. It was very, mm-hmm. it, was daunt, it was daunting. But because of the presence and level that he could he could uh be in himself in his reflection you could see that in yourself you could rise to it in yourself you could contain all these different parts we are in in ourselves and be able yes. to look at that and it's extraordinary to to be given that glimpse and and see that it that we're as i said before so much more than we realize and yet it's not the ego more it's something much mm-hmm. different from that mhm mhm one of the stories you tell of going to breakfast for instance oh, right. um, yes. what do you call that I love this. the sc- unscrambled <laughs> egg the scrambleless <laughs> egg <laughs> eggless scramble <laughs> Uh, tell the story, would you? Oh my goodness! I didn't know we Is were going fair? to do that. Uh, that that's certainly fair to do. Um, okay. But I'm somebody who doesn't memorize my stories. And would you believe I wrote this entire book without notes? Mm-hmm. Would you believe that? Mm-hmm. The, the the book was sort of. It came through to me, Mitchell, and that's the way I tried to live when I was around Lord Penlin. So as I'm saying that, I'm looking for the story here because it's better in the words of the person who received it than this one who's trying to recap. It's on page 65. I see it. (laughs) I have it. So I can read it. It's very short. So it's called The Egg. The Eggless Scramble, an unusually brilliant San Francisco sun beamed and and winked at the breakfast room windows, and the linen laid cloth and light blue napkins framed the toast and cereal place settings. I think I'm going to go into something else here rather than read it. I'm seeing something now. See, this is what used okay. to happen around him all the time. I'd start one thing and I'd end up somewhere else. But ah, basically, uh-huh. what what happened is that Lord Penland came into this breakfast uh, room where he came many mornings to. Are are we all right? We... Oh yeah. Um, where he came many mornings. And there were several of us seated seated to have our breakfast with him. And as I said here, he's a force to be reckoned with under the most normal of circumstances. But this particular morning, he came into the room and he pounced more than sat in his seat. And he immediately began to upend and slam all the cutlery, the pottery, put both hands on either side of the table and shook the whole table, and everyone at the table was flying around trying to catch everything so it wouldn't break. It was like an earthquake. And the aftershocks of that, for all of us who were so-called students sitting there 
quietly with our hands in our laps trying to be so such proper work people. We were shaken yeah. to our core, right? And we didn't know what was going on. And he sat down very, very quietly after that, and he totally transitioned from this kind of an earthquake to this what I would call a mountain stillness. He was just watching us flying around, trying to restore everything to some kind of order. And one by one, we were all settling down and trying to collect what was left. And he said Mm. to us very quietly, sometimes it's good to get out all the negativity on the table first thing. So it isn't necessary to carry it around the whole rest of the day. Uh, wow. And he wow. taught like this. He taught by yeah. by example. Now, they, they weren't all this ferocious. Some of them were very genteel, and some of the stories were very funny, the story with the cat. And, you know, there's, there's so much to tell. But the essence of what these stories are about is that this is a man who taught us, who were lucky enough to not only be around him in groups, in the foundation, and in meetings, in the formal settings, but I was amongst uh, small groups of people who he invited to live in his houses when he was out Mm -hmm. in California. So a lot of these special moments happened under what Gurdjieff called special conditions, you know, where we were allowed to really experience directly how to be when everything that we took as normal was falling apart around us, and and we had to look deeper. I'd like to deconstruct this a little bit. Thank you so much for sharing this story, by the way. It was just fabulous and giving us some trembling, tremulous, experience of Lord <laughs> um, uh, and I saw the <clears throat> times that I was in his presence at the foundation even when he would conduct uh, sittings you know or even up at Armonk which for all of you it was a, a workplace it was this beautiful estate uh, up in uh, New York State around Westchester, really, Upper Westchester, I believe. And uh, the people from the foundation would go there for a weekend or for a week, a work week, and apply the principles and the exercises of the work in motion, so to speak, in moment-to-moment life, in the kitchen, in the garden, anywhere and everywhere. And it was there also that I had the chance to be with Lord Pentland. And I found myself in in my, I would call it minimum contact, a very genteel, incredibly steady, inwardly very quiet man who seemed like he could take in the breadth through his perception of a room instantly. That was the feeling that I had uh, being with him the times that I was. And it was very impressive because he was so centered, he was so focused, and you could feel that presence from him. Now, of course, you were with him, you know, at his apartment and his office and on and on, far beyond me. Uh, but that, that was the some of the impressions I received of him. And, and I want to say, Mitchell, that I am one of many who was who were privileged, I think, to experience this very different dimension of reality in his direct presence. I don't want to mm. be special here. It's not it, the fact that I've written this book is a tribute and honor to my teacher. It's a devotional honor to him because yes, beautiful. things have been written about him that uh, I feel are a disservice to him as a human being. So in mm-hmm. order to re- to restore that this is a man who knew how to work and knew how to play and knew how to be. Yeah. To restore yeah. that, not just uh, that he was all these formal things that we know about him. 
understood. It's a good point and well made. I'm glad. You know, I'd like to hear a little bit more about um, what it is you saw when he would be teaching you in his verbal and nonverbal way, his direct and indirect ways that you did see about yourself. And I, I use the word deconstruct because what I'm getting from what you're saying, Ashla, is that both in the Gurdjieff work in general and very much so in the work of Lord Pentland in particular, there is a, not, uh, an offer, an invitation to see what we call in Jungian psychology one's shadow those parts of ourselves about which we are not particularly proud, we don't feel good about uh, that downtrodden part of us, the victim part of us, the woe is me, the self-pityer, if you will, the wounded soul, you know, those parts of us that do not beam with confidence and brilliance and radiance. And we all have those parts of our psyche that are in that state. And I want to know, is this along the lines of what you're referring to of seeing parts of us that might not be so pretty? Yes, this is exactly what I was referring to. <clears throat> For instance, in one of the, the other stories, he asked me to um, bake bread. I had to stay up the whole night to bake this bread. Oh, yes, I love that going, story. He was yeah. going out to... Um, he was actually leaving the workhouse to see somebody very early in the morning before our activities began. So I thought I was going to get a good night's sleep, but no, I was up the whole night baking this bread yeah. and sitting there in the morning waiting for him. And then I did something. This is connecting to what you, you're talking about. I, mm -hmm. I wanted the bread to look pretty. It wasn't enough for me that it was freshly baked. Right, I wanted to, my ego wanted this bread to look especially pretty when it was presented to the person uh -huh. he was bringing it to. Uh -huh. So I went yeah. into one of the drawers in the workhouse and took out one of the fancy linen napkins, and I hand stitched a kind of envelope for the bread. I didn't want to just put oh. it in saran wrap or a paper something. Right. And I was very right. proud of myself, right? Uh -huh. You know, so I, I sort of proudly <clears throat> presented this loaf of bread to Lord Pentland as he was leaving the house. And he, I noticed his eyebrows sort of raised. That's all I noticed. Didn't mm -hmm. notice anything else. And he left the house, and I went and caught a, about an hour's sleep and came back down. And he was walking in the door. And I noticed that he had folded and removed all the stitches from this beautiful blue napkin. Mm. And he looked at me and he said, would you be kind enough to have this laundered and put back in the drawer where it belongs? <laughs> and I just, I just stood there because, you know, in my wish to make it pretty or in this way we have to present something yeah. rather than mm -hmm. be and allow it to be. I had overstepped. It wasn't a criticism. It was a lesson. It was a lesson. And I don't think I've learned this lesson because people are accusing me of hyphenating too many words in this book, you know. <laughs> and, you know, maybe I still embellish too much, but it's a lifetime study. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm I hear you. So, I hear you. I I hear what it is he wanted. I hear what it is you wanted. And I under you you rather I would say even glibly refer to your wish to adorn it as your ego's wish. And I don't know. I see ego as an abstraction, unlike a lot of my other spiritual brethren and sisterin. And I think that ego has a very vital function and usefulness in our lives. It's only when it goes from 
the back seat to the driver's seat that we have a problem. But that's another conversation. I would just <laughs> like to say that in this case, you have a sense of aesthetic, and you spend all night putting this together. And I think pride has a very valuable place in this world, especially if you're a Leo, but even for those of us who are not. And I think it's a beautiful gesture, an artistic one that you put on, which would either be acceptable for someone or not, and that's perfectly legitimate. But so was your wish to adorn it. Well, thank you for My that. My two cents, so, that's all. I, I, I always I value your two cents. We we go way back. <laughs> and I'm, right. I'm so really so grateful to have a chance to even speak a little bit about a man who is, to me, beyond words. And I don't yes. mean to put him up as an idol or as a rock star or as a guru. Mm-hmm. It's right. it's not like that. He he actually mm-hmm. probably wouldn't love that I've called him my teacher. He didn't like labels mm. very much. He yes. really what he wanted for us was for us to become who we really were. And yes. whatever examples he could show us about what was in the way of that was very, very instrumental in in how he taught us. And uh, Mm. I just, I'd say my life was quite, is still quite different because of him. You know, my parents met him, Mitchell. Yes, that was one of the most wonderful stories I read. Oh, they flew out, and your father had been advised by the rabbi that you were probably part of a cult. That's right. uh, He was scared to death. (laughs) He was scared (laughs) to death that I I joined this terrible cult, and he wanted to see for himself. And the only thing I'll say about that story is Lord Pentland, on the hottest day, one of the hottest days of the year, showed up to greet my father in a felt hat. And yes. I said, oh, my God, he knows something about my father. My father was very religious. And my father immediately... It was his form of yarmulke. It was his form of skullcap. (laughs) But he just knew that. He knew that. Yes. So, I mean, obviously I could go on and on here, Mitchell, so you guide me here how you'd like to do this. Exactly. I want to just say... Ashla, I feel that you have put together a beautiful compendium of stories that are very much from the heart. They're also with uh, a spray of humor and spice and reality, that thunderous reality of breakfast that one fine morning. And um, just a really nice array of qualities that I feel you captured in your book. And um, I feel that you are helping to carry on the tradition of knowledge and experience for people uh, connected to the Gurdjieff work in general, and more particularly the the mystical teaching and educational ways, if you will, of Lord Pentland. And I just want to thank you very much for doing it and taking the time and joining us today on A Better World. I thank you, Mitchell. It's it's truly uh, my honor to be with you. Thank you. I'm so glad, absolutely. Now, do you have a website? Uh, People can purchase the book, as I said, through our website at abetterworld.net. Just uh, look up Ashala Gabriel. She's on the homepage right now. And we'll be a member of our permanent archive. Uh, So you can just put her name into the search engine and there's a link to Amazon right there to make it directly easy for you to acquire the book. And do you have another website that you would share with our audience? The only website right now that I have is the Heart Readings one. There will be a website developed around the book but it's not up yet. It's not up yet. Fine. Very good. Well, I really thank you very much for your good work, and uh, keep it up is the best I can say. Blessings, Mitchell. 
Absolutely. Yes. Very good. We'll be speaking soon, Ashla. That was Ashley Gabriel, the author of Remembering. You are now continuing to hear Mitchell J. Rabin on A Better World. Visit us at our website, www.abetterworld.tv, abetterworld.tv. If you're not yet part of the newsletter, do sign up for it because every week we send out only one newsletter and it announces the radio and TV shows and shares in blog form some little witticisms and wisdom sayings and uh, a slice of life, if you will. And it's all part of this evolutionary effort and impulse toward creating a better surrounding, a better environment, a better life for us all. And, of course, we want we call that creating a better world because it's for everybody. And now we are going to move into the last part of today's show and talk about Brazzo, who is the most, most interesting gentleman who I had the, the great pleasure of spending a little time with last spring when he was last in New York City. And joining us today is Angelica Serene Wycliffe, who has been connected with Brazzo now for a past period of time that's been very enriching to her. She herself, Angelica, who lives in Hawaii, just arrived in New York in order to help to oversee and be part of. She's sort of the MC of the activities that take place this time at the New Yorker Hotel. And certainly you should go to Brazzo's website and learn more about it. And if you haven't seen him directly in person, this would be an awesome time to do it. Angelica herself is a multidisciplinary researcher involved in the study of consciousness, energy healing, telepathic communications, anomalous archaeology, I love that phrase, and humanity's ancient origins. And she has been involved with Brazzo since January of 2010 when she organized uh, one of his first trips, if not his very first trip, to the United States speaking to large groups of people. And it's a most interesting transformational phenomenon People try to not use the word healer, although healing happens in his presence. And Angelica, are you on the line? Here now you will be. There you are. Hi, welcome to A Better World. Hi, Mitchell. It's a pleasure to be on your show. I'm so glad. I'm so glad, Angelica. I haven't had the pleasure of seeing you since last May when you were here with Brazzo. Oh, well, it's a pleasure to be back in New York City as well. We had him here actually in April, and so this is his second time actually in the heart of the city. Yes, excellent, excellent. I meant to also say that you are the author of a book called 21 Days with Brazzo, and uh, I've seen you also on video, Angelica, speaking with various scientists about this phenomenon, and I would love for you to share with our audience, what is this phenomenon? How would you, in your many years of multidisciplinary research, describe what it is you're and we are experiencing in his presence? Well, let me begin by giving you a little bit of background information about Brazzo. At Absolutely. Age 26, at age 26, Mitchell, he discovered that he had a special gift to share with people. And people began to come to him who were looking for help with the problems in their life. And when I say the problems, I mean everything from fears and stresses of life to health-related issues to relationship problems to career, all across the board. People were coming to this young man who was offering this gift. Now, uh, right now, the way Brazzo shares this gift is by silently gazing at large audiences. And something is triggered within people's consciousness that creates changes and shifts. So I don't refer to Brazzo as a healer. And many scientists who have studied him 
say that he goes beyond a different level of traditional energy healing. He is more a transformer or an awakener of consciousness, of helping us to make a connection inside to a deeper part of ourselves, to source. And in doing this, it activates what's inside of us to bring forward these positive shifts and changes. And Bratz has been sharing this gift since 1995, so over 17 years. And as you mentioned, he came for his first tourist to the United States uh, in the beginning of 2010 and has now been across the country. Uh, news stations across the country have covered his work and uh, very positively, I would like to add, about the people who are coming from all backgrounds, all ideologies, ethnicities, because here's a man who works in silence and is not preaching a philosophy or telling us about our lives and our future, but bringing out the wholeness, helping us to reach the wholeness inside of us and to connect with something greater than ourselves so that we can have more strength and a greater clarity and move our lives forward with this positive force force that can create quite a momentum in our lives. Well, it's very interesting you put it all of that way, Angelica, because our world is so full of words. We communicate so largely through words, through the spoken word, as per now, and through the written word, through these are the media, and that he would be delivering a message to us, you could say energetically, and completely without words, through silence, is a most interesting phenomenon, and you could say irony and paradox at the same time. I'd love for you to share with us some of, and he's from Serbia, correct? I, I know that part of the world. I've been there a number of times, and there's something I personally feel in the soil. I know this may sound funny, that in Yugoslavia, or what was called the former Yugoslavia, and uh, Russia, and Ukraine, and Bulgaria, and Romania, I believe that there is a combination of minerals in the soil that create a special kind of intelligence and sensitivity in the nervous systems of many people who grew up in those areas. I know that may sound far-fetched, but I'm telling you, I've been to a number of them, and there's something going on that creates a, a, a keener sense of psychic connectedness. What do you say? Well, Brasso, Brasso comes from Croatia, which is right next door to Serbia. Croatia. And I think Excuse you're saying me, sorry, Serbia right. because uh, Brasso's mentor, who is the person responsible for triggering this gift or helping Brasso as a young man yes. discover this gift, came from Serbia. But, ah, uh, I got it. And that is a very special region, and certainly it's interesting that Bratso began working in 1995, and this was around the time of the Croatian-Serbian War, that that was coming to a close. People's lives were torn apart throughout this region, and yes. here this young man came and he offered hope again. He offered a relief from all of this tragedy that people could look beyond what was happening at the physical level to find within themselves the hope and the positive feelings again to rebuild and move forward. And that's where Bratso began. I mean, that, that's I quite see. quite a place to begin your work. Oh, my God, exactly. In a, a war-torn, war-shredded country as Yugoslavia was at that time historically. Absolutely. Oh, my God, it's sort of, it's like a divine mission. It really sounds that way, Angelica. What could you describe some of the uh, experiences that people have had, some of the results, as one way of putting it, that uh, so many people around the world at this point have had in Bratso's presence that, that you yourself have witnessed? Well, you know, at the last event we did down in Miami, 
I had a woman come up after Brazo finished gazing in the session, and she told me she had come the previous time to another Miami event with a girlfriend, and they came in just to check it out. They didn't believe in it, but they thought, okay, it was a very minimal cost, and it couldn't hurt just to try a session. And she said that during the session, she actually didn't feel anything, even though she was hearing many people after the session talking about these positive experiences of feeling love, connection, burdens lifted. She said she personally felt nothing at all, and she was going to go out with her girlfriend and have a drink afterward, and she told me they were laughing over the fact that 10 years from now in the future, they would meet up again and say that they paid this man $8 to look at them. Well, that, (laughs) she said, but then she went home, and that night she had a dream with Brazzo, and in the dream she simply saw him, and he told her, I want to help you. Please let me help you. And it was very simple and innocent like that. The woman said, The next three weeks that followed, her life transformed. She said she had a bad relationship at work. She had money problems in her family. Her kids were getting in trouble, hanging out with the wrong crowd. Her relationship even with her husband was on thin ground because of all the other things going on. She said in those three weeks after Brazzo, she said everything became better. Money started flowing in, relationships at work improved. She said her family became more positive and more loving together. And she had come back that second time to see Brazzo. She had tears in her eyes while she was telling me this story, saying she just wanted to say thank you because she didn't believe, but now she believed that he was truly bringing a gift to people, and she wanted to share it with more of her friends, her own experience. So mm. sometimes it's this beautiful, holistic way it impacts our lives. But I have seen other people come in with health issues. Uh, I can't tell you how many people have said they came in with back problems, who said they felt tingling or heat in their body during the session, and they said... After 10 years of pain, all of a sudden it was gone. Or other people who say they walked in with fears. Uh, We had a woman from New York City who said she was afraid to stay in her apartment at night because she had such a fear of being alone. And because of Brazzo, she said, after Brazzo and the experience, now she said that she could walk the streets at night, she could go to a graveyard at night in New York City, and she felt so secure, so safe now that um, she said it was a whole new life for her, and it impacted her in other ways as well. So I have heard career changes where people say they have been out of work for years, it's so difficult in the job market, they couldn't find anything. Uh, that would help them to make ends meet or that struck a chord in them that they could like this job. They gazed with Brazzo, and uh, one man wrote to me, and he said within three days he had a company that he had interviewed with months before give him a call and offer him the job, and he said it was his dream job, and he was so Mm. happy and he wanted to thank Brazzo. So, Mitchell, Mm. it goes on and on with people in different areas of their lives, how they can receive help. But I I like to emphasize, too, you know, there's an openness. It's, It's great when we come in with an openness. People do come in skeptical, but if you trust what's taking place inside of yourself, you know, when you feel something positive, that's your anchor. And Brazzo really has taught me over the years, he's so positive in his life outlook, even when challenges come. And, you know, I heard him say that if we just focus on what's positive in our life and stay with that and nurture that, the more we do mm-hmm. that, the more it grows. 
and I think he's helping oh, many people God. to get refocused. You know, that really hits a very key note, Angelica, which is that to have an attitude of openness, as you said, when people come, but for people's lives there and everywhere else, an attitude of openness, open-heartedness, and positivity changes everything. I used to have a uh, Tai Chi teacher who used to say to me, Mitchell, Attitude is everything. Attitude is everything. If you have a good attitude, the world will come your way. And even if you don't like what's coming your way, your good attitude will transform it on the spot. And you will see the good in whatever it is that's happening. So I, that's just my way of telling you how much I appreciate your point of view on this. And Brazos uh, himself. Oh, thank you, Mitchell. But, you know, I, I really feel for the people who come in with depression and who feel so battered down by life challenges that it's yes. so hard. You can try and be positive, but you don't feel it inside because of what's taking right. place in your life. And what yes. really has touched me so deeply is the number of people who told me they came in with severe depression and they gazed with Brazzo and they felt like a burden was lifted. You know, mm. if we don't have an experience, somebody can tell you to believe something, but then it's dogma. It's like blind faith. Yeah. So yeah, with this, exactly. it's about... It's not real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not real. You once you have an experience of something positive inside that's deep enough, it's like it rewrites the code over the fears and the phobias and the stresses. It, it's almost like it can make you renewed. It can give you something back of yourself to move forward with now with a hope for the future instead of dreading the future. And boy, exactly. how many people out there are looking for this? Exactly. I want to bring one last question up right now because we're just about out of time here, Angelica, as much as I'm enjoying um, talking with you about this very important subject. We look at our own subjective lives and the troubles and toils we have as well as the joys. Then we look at the outside world, so to speak, and we see that we are in such deep economic, social political turmoil, it's unbelievable, almost like unprecedented in most people's lives. And there is this notion that the spiritual world lives over here and the political, social, economic world lives over here and nary the two shall meet. I couldn't think more opposite than that myself, but I would love to hear what you have to say because I personally think that there's an exquisite relationship between the kind of love, I would say, and inner peace that Brazzo emanates and our truly difficult and overly challenging, very challenging issues that we have with the environment, etc. Could you just speak a little bit about how Brazzo's energy could somehow relate to uh, creating peace in this world? Okay, let me let me uh, answer that in two ways. First of all, Bratz's own life sets an example because he came from a prosperous family and he went to university, he achieved a master's degree in economics, he had all the material successes of life, but that wasn't enough for him. Since he was very young, he knew there was something more to life, but he didn't know quite how to get that integrated into his life until he met the Serbian man, Ivica Provic, who activated something in him, and he discovered this gift. He left everything behind, all his material success, to go and do this work of simply sharing a gift to help people, and his center in Zagreb, Croatia, has always been free. So many people out there who have achieved success materially We only have about 25 seconds left, unfortunately, so you'll have to make that a good sentence. (laughs) Okay. 
Okay. Well, you know, what I'd really like to do is tell people that Brazzo is going to the be website. at the New Yorker Hotel for four days over Labor Day weekend. And the New Yorker Hotel is at 481 8th Avenue. Uh, sessions are 35 minutes on the hour. They start at 11. They go till 7 on Friday and 10 to 6. And they can just on, show up? And they can get tickets in advance at Brazzo.net. That's B-R-A-C-O dot net, or just show up at the door and sessions are on the hour. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Angelica. I will be there. I will be bringing friends. I look forward to seeing you there. Thanks so much for being on today's show. It's been an honor, and I look forward to seeing you there, Mitchell. This I'm weekend. so glad. God bless. Keep up the good God work. God bless Angelica. you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. Thanks so much for joining us. Visit us at our website at www.abetterworld.tv. Become part of A Better World by so doing. And I look forward to seeing you all next week. <laughs>